those who are victims of child sexual abuse are no more likely to become victimizers than the general population. I was just shocked that this stuff didn't jump at me earlier. Y'all, you deserve professional hair color that makes you look your gorgeous best delivered right to your door. You can take your hair coloring at home to the next level with Madison Reed, and it starts at just $22. Women have had two options for coloring their hair for decades. That at-home color you got out of a box that's outdated or going to the time and expense of a traditional salon. Many clients of Madison Reed comment on how their new hair color has improved their lives. Women love their gorgeous, shiny, multidimensional, healthy-looking hair. This is game-changing color you can do at home. And you'll look like you just came out of the salon. Madison Reed color is unique because it's crafted by master colorists who blend nuances of light, dark, cool, and warm tones. And they create over 55 gorgeous, multidimensional shades. Find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com. Best case, worst case listeners get 10% off plus free shipping on their first color kit with code best case. That's code best case. Hello and welcome to best case, worst case, worst case scenario. This is your host, former state and federal prosecutor, Francie Hakes. I'm very excited to be joined in the studio live in person with one of our listeners' favorite guests. Who are you, guest? I'm Maureen O'Connell, FBI, retired after 25 years, and uh, XG member. Very proud to be here. That's fantastic. Maureen, thank you so much for agreeing to talk to me today. I'm thrilled to have you back. Every time you're on, our listeners can't get enough. They want more Maureen. When's Maureen coming back? Oh, please. So it's true. I've brought you back. Here you are. It's girl time. Mm-hmm. It, it is an all-ladies show today. Jim will be back soon. He is on assignment. Mm-hmm. Let's just say, mysteriously, we'll have some announcements at some point. But I call this segment worst case scenario, Maureen, because we're not going to really talk about a case. I mean, we are, but it's not one of your cases and it's not one of my cases. Although, frankly, I wish it had been one of ours because maybe things would have been different. But And it is, truth be told, it's the type of case, Francie, that you have extensive experience in. So I'm really interested, too, to hear your take on this. Well, it's a fascinating, horrifying case all at once. And we're talking about the allegations against Michael Jackson that have been raised uh, again. And I'll just say this is, of course, multiple times, but raised again in the fascinating documentary, Leaving Neverland. So I thought we could get in a little bit, Maureen, today about what was going on in the documentary. And I want to get your insight into uh, witness interviews where I want to talk about indicators of veracity, things that Jim Clementi and I train on around the world all the time, and just get your take in general on the documentary and on Michael Jackson. So let's just, let's just jump right in. Well, interestingly enough, Francie, when this case first, you know, when we're talking about the early 90s, I was a brand new FBI agent. And even though um, I did a stint in the Cook County Jail before I became an agent, I really didn't have a lot of um, law enforcement experience at all when this case first initially broke. And so 
I watched it um, the other night through a totally different optic because I remember when the story broke, I thought there's probably as good a chance that he's not guilty than he is guilty. You know, having been through so many cases and worked for so long, I was just shocked that this stuff didn't jump at me earlier. Well, you know, it's a great point, Maureen. I started in the district attorney's office in Columbus, Georgia in 1996. My very first case out of the gate, my first trial was an aggravated child molestation case. And so that was the first case I tried as a baby prosecutor. And this case, uh, these allegations against Michael Jackson, I remember thinking about them at the time in a similar way that you did, wondering whether they were true. Obviously, I had no insider knowledge, and I was very new to child sexual abuse, looking at it, as you say, with a lens of today, with all the knowledge that I have gathered over the last 20 years with respect to child abuse, my views have certainly hardened, if not altogether changed. And so that's what I wanted to talk to listeners about in the hopes that today I might be able to shed some light on how children disclose abuse. And you and I are going to talk about investigations and whether this looks like a classic investigation to you, because I thought it was very investigative, Mm -hmm. the documentary in a way. So let's get right in. I wanted to talk first about some principles that uh, I learned as a prosecutor. And that is about uh, children and adults who disclose abuse and how we as law enforcement professionals and how the public can weigh allegations against, against the backdrop of our knowledge of how victims we know are victims really disclose abuse right. versus those making potentially false allegations. Because One of the most disturbing things that has happened over the last few days uh, and weeks since this documentary first hit the public consciousness was all of the cries uh, about the men who've come forward and how they're liars. They're in it for the money and people who are standing up for Michael Jackson, whether they knew him or not. And of course, then there's a lawsuit pending that's been filed against HBO for airing the documentary. Yep. So let's talk first about some principles. Uh, All over the world, when I give training, I talk about uh, what are are called indicators of veracity. Mm -hmm. So truth-telling. How do you know if someone is telling you the truth when they're talking about something like child sexual abuse? There are studies done on, well, let's face it, everything, including the shrimp on a treadmill study that I talked about a few episodes ago. (laughs) I know, right? It's a real thing. Um, But there are studies done on children who are describing real events and children who are told to describe false events. And what are the differences? And that there are differences. When you're talking about a real event, generally speaking, when it's something traumatic like this, you can convey what's called sensory information. You know what that is, Maureen. I have heard you famously say that every case for you starts with your hands in the dirt. That's a sensory detail, hands in the dirt. How did the dirt feel? Right. Or yeah. when you when you imagine something or you're you're thinking about a traumatic event, oftentimes you remember what it smells like. Or how many times have we heard victims say, I smelled this and I knew that's what it was? Or just like you said, it's it's there, there's a lot of emotion tied to it. There's a lot of emotion and there are a lot of sensory impressions. So I had a case uh, once, this is very distressing, uh, everyone, just fair warning. I had a case once where the victim was four or five years old and her mother's boyfriend had forced her to perform oral sex on him. 
And when I was talking to her in my office, preparing her to testify at trial in that case, which was an aggravated child molestation case, I asked her, you know, about, just tell me about it. What happened? And she described in a very sensory way what the boyfriend's penis tasted like and what the material that came out of it tasted like and felt like in a way that no five-year-old could possibly know. Right. She described in great detail. And so I knew instantaneously without hearing another single detail, whether she knew exactly when it happened because she didn't. Um, you know, what, what day, what would. time? Exactly. She didn't know the date of the time, right. but she could describe what his penis tasted like and what the semen that came out smelled like and tasted like and felt like. That is a sensory You're right. Impression. This is deeply disturbing. And Sorry. is it all right if I leave? No, no, you cannot. That? You are okay. stuck. You are stuck here with me. But that's what I'm talking about. Those kind of sensory details. What did something smell like? What did it feel like? And then what did the victim feel like when it was happening to them? Can they convey those kind of emotions? You know, shame, fear, that sort of thing. We have found also, studies have found, that people who are describing real events give a lot more detail than those describing fake events. So yes. I wanted, I took some notes. So let's talk about that. I want to get your impressions. One thing that struck me like a, you know, like a hammer when I was watching the documentary the other night was what one of the men, Jimmy, described about feeling Michael Jackson's hair when Jackson placed the child's penis in his mouth. Yes. That Jackson took the child's hands and put them on Jackson's head. And he said he'll never forget how the hair felt, how rough it was. That is a sensory detail that is an indicator of veracity to me that Jimmy was talking about. And he also talks about his own feelings of love and affection. Right. So it actually doesn't make sense that if you're making up a story, most people think if I've been abused by someone, I hate them. Therefore, I'm going to describe- You're going to demonize my, them that's from right, minute one. From minute one. And that did not happen. No, it didn't. Neither Jimmy nor Wade talked about hating Michael Jackson. As in a matter fact, of the fact, opposite. conversely, yeah. they talked about how they loved him, how they were in love with him, how they felt like they were a couple. And these are all the instruments of classic grooming. Yes. I mean, he's a master manipulator. Yes, master. A master groomer. And their accounts in this documentary, which I thought was very well done, well shot, a lot of detail. Me too. uh, A lot of corroboration with photos and Mm -hmm. videos of them interacting with Jackson, the faxes. Yes. We'll get into that in a second. Those, I thought I found those shocking. But indicators of veracity are those sensory details, sight, sound, touch, smell, taste. And they both described those kind of details in various ways. And they describe the rooms in the ranch and what happened when someone nearly caught them in one of the rooms off of of the theater. These are accounts that are so detailed that it's hard to believe that they're fabricated. And they also describe other kinds of things like spatial details, uh, details around time, what was happening. Wade Robeson talks about his family dropping it well, effectively dropping him off. They stayed at the ranch for a couple of days, and then they went on to the Grand Canyon, leaving their five-year-old son behind at Michael Jackson's house with Michael Jackson for a week. And they had met the man one time in Australia like a year before.
Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission-free. While other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees, so you can trade stocks and keep all your profits. Plus, there's no account minimum deposit needed to get started, so you can start investing at any level. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. View easy-to-understand charts and market data and place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. You can also view stock collections, such as 100 Most Popular. With Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio, discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners of Best Case, Worst Case a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Sign up at bestcase.robinhood.com. Hiring is challenging, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. A place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com slash best case. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash best case. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash B-E-S-T-C-A-S-E. ZipRecruiter.com slash best case. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Francie, this documentary was as disturbing, if not more, than Abducted in Plain Sight, where the parents allowed an adult male to sleep in the room with their young daughter for months on end. Yeah. I just, you know, I understand that people can get played and people can get manipulated, but, you know, we weren't even allowed to have sleepovers unless it was at one of my aunt's house. No, my, my, we, we called my dad the warden. My right. friends and I called my dad the warden when I was growing up because he was extremely strict. But... It's, you know, at least in the case of Michael Jackson, it's that halo, that celebrity halo effect where- And money. Let's not forget well, of money. of course, money. But they think they know him or they just assume they do mm-hmm. because they've seen him so many times. And of course, in the case of poor Wade Robson, he was so predisposed because he had been obsessed with Michael Jackson for a year or two before that. He was dancing in competitions. He was in a dance troupe where he portrayed yes. various characters that Michael Jackson made famous in, in Thriller and Smooth Criminal. So he was an easy target. Jimmy wasn't as easy a target, but he was a budding actor. He was in a commercial. His parents wanted him to make it. You're talking about preying on children in a way that that they were such easy targets that it's so hard for us to understand today because I feel like at least we hope as a society, we're much more aware, but I fear we're actually not. Let's get back to the indicators of veracity because- I really want to address, I'm sure some listeners have doubts, for example, about the way that these two talked about Michael Jackson in the past, and specifically when the earlier allegations in the court case against Michael Jackson came up. They They denied everything. They denied everything. And that is something that I think is very difficult for people to understand. And it's funny you say that because I, I like to read comments and remarks and uh, for all these type of um, podcast documentaries, everything. And so many people chimed in, Francie, saying they're liars. They denied it when they were young. They denied it so many times. And I thought, how could a 
five-year-old or a 17-year-old even, having been so deeply traumatized, respond in a way that would that would make us feel good about their response. Right. It's well, gotta, they can't. They can't. Well, they can't. And that's the thing about child sexual abuse that is so insidious and that manipulative child molesters like Michael Jackson instinctively know. And that is that they're going to believe and the children are not. And so that is why you get false denials, as I believe there was in this case, or recantations where a child will purposefully or inadvertently disclose something small about the abuse. Uh, Their lives get blown up. Their parent gets arrested. Their mom doesn't believe them. They get called liars or made fun of or sluts or whores or whatever it is. Or you're going to ruin our whole family by getting daddy kicked out. You're exactly right. And so it's much easier to say, oh, I made the whole thing up. Right. And that's a classic recantation. So let Both me, of those are very common. So let me ask you something, Francie. So you you categorize Michael Jackson as a classic or just a world-class manipulator, essentially. Now, he wasn't always that way. So do you think he got better over time? Or are there going to be a lot more um, victims that are going to come out from his younger years? Or how, how did he develop these skills? Were they innate? Or or is it something that he really worked hard on? You know, that's an interesting question. I mean, he strikes me as such a good groomer in the end with the way he was grooming parents, the community, the world. Building Neverland. Yes. The biggest lure on earth. Why would he do that? There's only one reason to lure children right. to cover for what he was doing. Like, one of the things people say is, well, he didn't molest me. Corey Feldman has come out. I was very disappointed to see him because he didn't just come out and say, well, he never molested me. What he came out and said was he never molested me. And so these two are lying. He's wrong. Right. And it's wrong of him One to do that. One has nothing to do with the other. And as a survivor himself, he, he should know better than that and have empathy for them, regardless of whether or not he believes them. I agree. It is that halo effect again. Michael Jackson may or may not have molested him. He says not. So he refuses to believe it happened to anyone else. That's exactly the attitude Corey Feldman claims to be fighting against yes. in Hollywood. And he's been fighting it for several years. He has been fighting it for a long time. And so I think Michael Jackson was an excellent manipulator toward the end of his life. How long did that last? I think he got better of it like we all get better at anything over time Mm -hmm. as we practice. Makes sense. Was he always sexually attracted to children is a question people often ask. And the social scientists, the behavioralists who work in this field and study child sex offenders tell me that those who have a persistent sexual interest in children under the age of, say, 12 or 13, which clearly Jackson did, are classic pedophiles. And their sexual interest in that, in children, is set by around puberty or at least by the age of 18. So they always know they have a deviant sexual interest in children. They may or may not act upon it, but they know that they have it by a very young age. That's why these people who at, you know, 50, who suddenly get convicted of possessing child pornography. Oh, I was just looking. I'm not sexually interested in children. I've never touched a child. I've never been arrested for it. I never believe that. I don't either. Because I know what the research the actual people in the field say, and that is that that sexual interest is established at a young age. I mean, in your teens, for sure. So yes, I think Michael Jackson always knew he had a sexual interest in children. I don't know how early it started where he was actually sexually offending against children, but certainly by the time he got a lot of wealth and a lot of fame, he figured out how to do it right under the parent's nose. You heard uh, Jimmy's mother 
talking about having gone on tour with him in Europe. Remember that? Yes. And there was a lot of video footage. It's so disturbing to watch how happy and uh, happy-go-lucky he seems as they're on tour. He's running, darting in and out of limos with Michael Jackson. How exciting and heady and incredible must that have felt for a young boy who'd never experienced that to see that level of fame and be associated with it. You heard his mother say, as that tour went on, the rooms that the that Michael Jackson's got people- further and further apart from mm-hmm. one another yeah. to the point where they were on a different floor yeah. and they were told that they couldn't get any suites closer to Michael Jackson and their son Classic. at that point. Yeah. Just creating distance. Well, and who did that? Somebody is facilitating the abuse of that. Cause I don't believe for one moment that Michael Jackson called Himself. the front desk and made the reservations. And you know what, Francie, that's the thing about the documentary where I was like, are we really in a place where these bodyguards and assistants are are not going to come clean on this? I don't know. Because you're right. They all had to be in on it. What about yes. the women that called the mom, that changed the phone number, that, that reached out to the children initially and brought them in? And I mean, th- there's no way they couldn't know. And to watch that footage like you just described where he's darting around and playing, I, I just thought to myself, how was any of this allowed? Who I don't authorized know. this? I, I always know. say that as a joke about so many things in life. Who authorized this? But this is just at a proportion I've never, ever seen before. No, and it's it's partly because of celebrity. Although we know that regular people molest children, there are millions of children who are victimized by child sexual abuse every year. It's 85% of them, of the ones who are abused, are abused within their circle of trust, not by celebrities. It's by their parents, their step-parents, their uncles, their babysitters, their coaches, their teachers, their priests, their, you know, whatever, nuns. So we know that, that that is the vast majority of abuse. But you have to wonder how does a, effectively a stranger get access to children like that? And he built his whole world to attract children into his bed. And one thing we're going to talk about on another episode of Worst Case Scenario, Neverland Nightmares, is Jim Clemente's experience in what he knows about what was found in the search of Neverland Ranch during that initial investigation that led to the criminal charges against Michael Jackson. That will be very, very Jim has inside information that I think our listeners will be uh, really interested to hear and are very disturbing. So, Francie, let me ask you a question. Is there any evidence at all that you're aware of that shows that Michael Jackson himself was a victim of um, sexual abuse as a child? No, you know, not that I'm aware of, Maureen. I think it's a great question. And I've certainly heard lots of tales about uh, his father, Joe Jackson, and how he treated the family. But I'm not sure that there has ever been any claim of sexual abuse. I'm not sure it would surprise me, but it is important to know that studies, again, have shown us that those who are victims of child sexual abuse are no more likely to become victimizers than the general population. That's exactly the answer I was looking for, Francie. Thank you. Well, and it's important to know those things. And it's important to talk about the allegations that these men are making. It's very easy in the cases of celebrities 
to say that they're in it for the payday. You know, Jim and I uh, very controversially talked a lot about the allegations against Brett Kavanaugh, and he was, you know, let's face it, a celebrity at the time, and motivations. And I think it is very important to talk about motivations. And there could be a financial motivation. One assumes, in fact, I assume they were paid for their participation in the documentary for sure. So are they interested in suing the estate of Michael Jackson? I don't know. Does that mean they weren't molested? No. But does it mean we should look carefully at their allegations? Yes, it does. Exactly the way Jim and I did about Christine Blasey Ford and the other women who were making allegations against Brett Kavanaugh. And I want to say, in distinct contrast, these two men who claimed that they were molested by Michael Jackson, I find that they had this level of detail, these indicators of veracity that we look for, sensory impressions, recall a spatial sense, talking about how things tasted and smelled, when it happened in their lives, what else was going on, how did he actually do it, how did they get into the rooms, how did they leave, What they had all of those kinds of details that lots of victims or lots of people making allegations don't necessarily. Okay, so then let's dig down to the opposite of indicators of veracity. When they showed the video of the children being asked these questions as to whether or not they were um, victims of sexual abuse at the hand of Michael Jackson when they were young, I didn't see any of those indicators of veracity. It appeared to be a far more blank stare to me. Did you did you find that? Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. I did not find those denials to be particularly convincing, although it is important to note that, for example, I'm not saying Corey Feldman was abused by Jackson. I certainly wouldn't be surprised. But he was older than Wade Robson was. I think he was, though, similar in age to Jimmy, although, again, I think Jimmy was about 10 when he first uh, came into Michael Jackson's orbit. And I think Corey Feldman was a preteen, 12 or 13. I'm not sure. I can't quite recall. I need to go back and look at that. I'm sure my listeners will um, correct me about that because they always do. And I appreciate that. But just because someone's a child molester doesn't mean they molest every child. Exactly. Just because someone's a rapist doesn't mean they rape every woman. Exactly. It's, it's absurd because, of course, no one could possibly get away with that kind of behavior if they indiscriminately molested children. The point was that you could tell from what Jimmy and Wade were talking about that Jackson was very careful about how and where he did it. He did it at his home. He did it in hotel rooms where he felt like he would not be interrupted. The point of most sexual assaults is that they take place in privacy where someone is reasonably assured of privacy and reasonably assured that their victim won't tell. And how did Michael Jackson know they wouldn't tell? Well, I think that's what the grooming process is. That's his celebrity. That's the halo effect is, and they did, and they said it, even Wade Robeson said, he moved his whole life to Los Angeles on some vague request or invitation from Michael Jackson. Even though he had been repeatedly sexually assaulted by him, he still moved his life hoping to stay close to him. What does that tell you? Well, uh, first of all, I want to back up just a little bit going back to motive. It's You said it's important to look at motive and it's important to look at motive no matter what the crime is. We always find interest in motive and sometimes you even have to prove what the motive was. But part of that also, when you're talking about targeting these children, 
part of it has to do with the parents and the family. Is this a family that I can pull this child away from? Do they trust me enough where I can create the distance I need to be successful in my attacks on these children? And then to talk about a wolf in sheep's clothing, Michael Jackson just checked every box for someone that anyone would want to be around. And when he, when the family went to Neverland, they said they felt like they were at a spa because he created a spa so that they would go to the spa and he could have access to the children by himself. Well, it's also critical to remember what happens in the mind of a child, of a 10-year-old or a five-year-old, when their parent leaves them alone with this man. They don't know that this is wrong, what he's doing. They may have a sense of shame, but because their parents acquiesced in his having complete authority and control over them for a period of time. And control over the parents to a certain extent. The kids probably assumed that either their parents were okay with it or that they shouldn't talk to their parents about it because their parents don't care. I mean, it's a really unique dynamic when you have someone who is so good at grooming that he grooms the parents, invites them to the ranch and gets them to leave their child for a week with a complete stranger as they leave the state this is before cell phones, as they leave the state and have no communication with their five-year-old for a whole week. It's shocking. What did that five-year-old think? He is completely dependent upon Michael Jackson for everything for that entire week. He can't reach his parents. He can't talk to his parents. He can't ask his parents for help. He's completely dependent on Michael Jackson. So he did what he told him and he never told anybody. And when asked about it later, he denied it because he understood or thought he understood that this was a love relationship. You're talking about mock weddings and gifts that these kids received and facts after facts. And remember something really important, Maureen, tell me what you thought of this. Michael Jackson routinely spoke to both of those boys' mothers Yes, via fast and via phone. Those women thought that he had a crush on them. They both said that they had a very special relationship with him. And even the fathers didn't suspect anything, though the one father, which in and of itself shocked me. I don't get shocked often, but between this and that other documentary, I I was yelling at the television. Well, and the thing I think, uh, Maureen, what just absolutely frosts me is that there are many people who still to this day describe Michael Jackson as kind of having a halo of innocence and a childlike joy. And to me, he was an evil genius because that is a mask. Mm -hmm. He wore that childlike joy as a mask, hiding a manipulative child sex offender who was routinely sexually assaulting children behind closed doors. I agree. Even though, and and, you know, I'm one of those people that I grew up with Michael Jackson. Me too. I grew up on the South Side. I mean, Motown was everything and Michael Jackson was my man. I used to dance to his music, sing to his music. I always dreamed of dancing or singing with him when I grew up. Listen, I have to confess that when I was in high school, I was a high school cheerleader. And one of our uh, halftime shows was a dance to Thriller where I choreographed the entire Thriller dance and taught it to my cheerleading squad. And we did it. We performed it at several games. Well, he's a musical genius. He was. He was absolutely a musical genius. I certainly can't say he wasn't. But thinking back now to how much I loved his music and still hear his music on the radio all the time or in malls or wherever you go, you can't escape Michael Jackson's music. It's now chilling to me and it really sickens me. 
And I think that we as a society have got to do better at understanding that just because someone is rich, famous, or a celebrity does not mean that they are safe to leave your children with. No one is safe to leave your children with. If someone is seeking out private time with any child, the answer is no. Question it. Question it. No, the answer is no. I wouldn't even question it. See, you're smart. You're protective. You're a mom. So everyone, I hope you have enjoyed my discussion with Maureen. Maureen, thank you so much for being here. Uh, We could talk about this, I suspect, for three hours. Yes, at least. And we probably will next time. I hope to get Jim Clemente in front of the microphone and ask him about uh, Neverland Ranch and its secrets and what he thinks about these allegations, both from his behavioral profiling perspective, but also from his being a survivor who delayed his own disclosure for a period of years. Mm -hmm. So his perspective will be valuable. I promise we'll get that next time, everyone. But in the meantime, thank you, Maureen, for joining me. Thank you, Francie, for having me. And everyone, thank you very much for listening to this episode of Worst Case Scenario. This is Best Case, Worst Case. Thanks for listening. Best Case, Worst Case is an XG production. Produced by Jim Clemente at Empire Studios, L.A., Engineered and edited by Mike Thal. Music composed and performed by Simba Sumba. And hosted by Wonder. You can listen to Best Case, Worst Case on your favorite listening app. We are on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Stories about child sexual abuse can make us feel powerless. But the good news is that there are organizations working to prevent abuse and keep kids safe. Darkness to Light and their Stewards of Children Prevention Training has trained more than 1.4 million adults to protect, recognize, and react responsibly to child sexual abuse. But there's more work to do. And with their 4 million by 2020 goal, Darkness to Light is setting their sights on training 4 million adults around the country to keep kids safe. By donating to Darkness to Light, you can help reach this goal that will make communities across the country safer places for kids. It starts with you. Visit www.d2l.org today to give. That's www.d2l.org. the number 2 l.org. <laughs> <laughs>